0: This is The Leading Second Podcast, where we're on a mission to raise up uncommon church builders and be the kind of leaders our pastors would kill to have on the team. The Leading Second Podcast releases every Thursday morning. So hit the subscribe button, consider sharing this episode with your team, and let's join Brandon Stewart for another vital conversation for all of us who lead from the middle. Second, Welcome back to Season 4. My name's Clark. I'm one of the team members here in this tribe we call Leading Second, a community of uncommon church builders. And if you just find yourself in that spot where you're leading but you're not in charge, and you're just trying to do it right for your pastor and your team and your church— you have found family here, and I really believe if you'll if you'll connect with us, uh, you're going to be encouraged, and you're going to be equipped, and, and you're going to be strengthened. Um, we have such a heart for, for you and what you're doing in your local context, and today, I really believe there's some gold, and you're going to want to take some notes, and it's going to start right out of the gate with a listener question we received, and Brandon uh, has a great answer, and I, I think you'll want to tune in. Let's jump into this listener question.
1: Well, I'm here today with Seth from Bloomington, Indiana. Say what's up to everybody, Seth.
0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Hey, Brandon.
1: Hey, I'm so glad uh, you're here. Love you. Love your church and your team. Get to uh, be with you often and, uh, love what God is doing in your house. Uh, why don't you tell everybody, uh, kind of who you are and what you do on the team?
0: Sure. Yeah. My name's Seth Pate from city church in Bloomington, Indiana, and I've been an executive pastor or executive leader role.
1: That's awesome. Awesome. You had a great question that you sent in today. Why don't you share it with us?
0: My question today is what does leading across look like, or, or basically how do I lead those that I have no authority over?
1: Yeah. I, man, I resonate with this question. (laughs) I, I love it. it. And what's interesting about my role at my home church, Seth is, um, I'm actually not on the org chart. I'm a volunteer staff member, but I sort of float in some ways. So I really feel this question because a lot of times I'm asked to help out or weigh in, in areas that I have no authority over. And uh, I think anybody that leads in the middle just really resonated with your, with your question. I heard John Maxwell say this one time that people buy into the leader before they buy into the vision, right? I think we've kind of heard that idea before. Well, let's take that into a lateral middle kind of context. To me, people will buy into you before they buy into you leading them. And I think I've always heard that known that understood that. But then when you sent your question in, I went and did a little research and it, to me, it just really validated that as simple as it is, this is the approach that you have to take. It's all about relational equity and a relational um, bank account deposits made with every team member around you. So a little bit of a, of a, Spoiler. I guess one of my leading second hacks is uh, I absolutely love John Maxwell's book, The Three Hundred and Sixty Degree Leader. I rip stuff off from here all the time for leading second, and and maybe don't give enough credit. So don't go looking too hard, or you're going to see a lot of a lot of what we talk about here in in this book. To me, it, it's John Maxwell's best book. In the book, he talks about leading across. And he talks about some different principles for leading across is what he calls, you know, your, your question. And right at the beginning, I just thought I would share this with you. He talks about the leadership loop, the leadership loop, and basically the job of someone who leads in the middle. If you want to lead laterally, you have to complete the leadership loop. With people, In other words, you you don't have the leg to stand on that, you know, I oversee you, which by the way, he would also say is the lowest form of leadership. So if you're if you're having to stand on that to get anything done, I think you've already kind of lost the game, you know, so to speak. Um, But you certainly don't have that when you're leading across. So he talks about the leadership loop and and what's so interesting is the first three or four steps have like nothing to do with results or you know leadership i guess it, it has to do with a relationship it has to do with things like caring learning appreciating in other words people feeling understood by you valued by you um i often tell younger leaders this is a little bit of a different context but i often tell younger leaders you know if you want to lead people who are older than you go over to their house, spend time with them, spend time with their family. Like look at the pictures hung up in the wall, ask questions about their family and and not berating them, but really be interested in, in the people that you're leading. I think the same could kind of apply here. So to me, completing the leadership loop, it starts so much with relational dynamics. If, if you try to, um, jump in and just achieve results prematurely, I think you'll have trouble because your approach will be too uh, short-sighted when it comes to that. The other thing that he mentions later in the book, and, and we'll leave it at that for today, is he mentions the art of letting the best idea win. You know, you, Seth, and I, and every one of us that lead from the middle, we can lead even if our idea isn't the one executed on or chosen. Those are two very different concepts. And the goal of leadership is not to get everyone to agree with you. The goal of leadership is to let the best idea win. In fact, what if your team feels celebrated by you? If it was their idea that we went with, you know, and it was their idea that put points on the board for the church and for the team. And what if, what if you're in my job, Seth, isn't actually to get our ideas to work at all what if it's to help our team come up with the winning ideas and put points on the board and then celebrate them in the process so uh, i would encourage anybody to read that section of the 360 degree by john maxwell um on leading across i think it'll help you and it'll help a lot of us as we're trying to get this right so i hope that helps you today
2: seth yes yeah, great
0: for today's interview, we have such the honor, such the privilege to welcome Katie Cole to the podcast. Brandon Stewart sits down with Katie and they discuss how to lead through disruption. It's so good. So without further ado, let's jump into this conversation with Katie Cole. Well, Katie, it's good to be talking with you today. Uh, welcome to the Leading Second Podcast.
1: So glad to have you.
2: Well, thank you, Brandon. It's really great to be on with you today. I'm excited to, about our conversation.
1: Absolutely. And I, I got a chance to hear from you recently. I was at a church leadership event and and you shared some, I just felt really, really great wisdom for leaders in this season. And I'm so glad to be talking with you today for our audience. And uh, as you know, we're all leading in very uncertain, uh, unprecedented times. I, I saw a, a meme the other day saying, I miss precedented times. You know, wh- where where are those times, right? Uh, but we're you know we're leading in a unique season, and um, I think leaders everywhere are searching for wisdom. So thanks for some time today to just unpack some wisdom for leaders uh, for this season. Uh, before we get into it though, maybe tell us a little bit about you and and uh, what you do in in ministry and in your line of work.
2: Sure. I have served in full-time ministry for the last 25 years, uh, most specifically, and part of the way we know each other is at a really large multi-site church in South Florida where I live. And uh, I was explaining earlier, I kind of grew up in ministry leadership with the church. I've been serving in church since I was a little kid, but I came on staff at a time of really rapid growth. And so I sort of mm-hmm. rode the growth way from about 3,000 to uh, 23,000. And eventually when I left, I was executive director over multi-site, overseeing nine campuses plus a big online campus and running our school of leadership. So that's sort of my uh, ministry background. I have a master's degree in human resource development all around organizational learning and uh, human performance, training for human performance. And now I work with churches all over the world on their growth strategies, leadership development pipelines. And most recently really started talking a lot about how to access all the leadership gifts in a church or in an organization to make sure we're not leaving anyone out of what God is doing.
1: I love it, and you live in South Florida. By the way, I'm in the Seattle area, and we woke up with ice on vehicles today. I just want you to know, uh, so maybe pray for us here in March. Don't well, get we're ice. having
2: a cold, a cold snap, so everyone's in turtlenecks and their boots. It dipped below 70 last night. Oh, so, anytime we go below 70, you start to see all the winter wear in Florida, <laughs> people.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, tell us about a time where you led in the middle, and I, I know a little bit about you know, where you come from and and so respect to the, the house of the team that you were a part of, but what was that season like for you uh, leading from the middle and what's a, what's a lesson you feel like you took forward in life from that season?
2: Well, I feel like my entire career has been leading in the middle. So my first mm. uh, profession, I was a registered nurse. Then I went to work at a university mm. where I was a Dean of Students. Then in ministry, really now that I own my own company is the first time I've been like in charge, not sure I enjoy it nearly as much as leading in the middle, to be really honest.
1: I think one of
2: the great pieces of leading in the middle is also the greatest challenge, which is you're constantly navigating the needs of all the people who are looking to you. So there's the people you work for, there's the people you're leading, there's your peers that you need to work with. And each of those groups of people require a totally different set of skills and emotional intelligence. You have to lean into different groups for different projects you're working on or different seasons of the ministry year. And so I found that really stretching, really challenging, very sanctifying. Mm, Uh, Some of my biggest (laughs) spiritual lessons were the conflicts, like navigating the conflicts between what my leaders wanted versus what my followers wanted or, what I wanted to offer my peers that really was counteractive to something else. Navigating those sort of gray areas of leadership are the most challenging, the most stressful, but also the most telling, the most growth where you really need the Holy Spirit's leadership. Uh, So Mm -hmm. I've learned to welcome them and also just kind of sit back and watch God do amazing things in those spaces.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely absolutely I, I couldn't agree with you more when it comes to sanctifying too i think that's the whole <laughs> the whole purpose of leading second here is is navigating all of those seasons and uh hey you have a new book out which congratulations on that uh find your leadership voice in 90 days uh tell us a little bit about that i'm really excited to to check it out
2: Thank you. Well, it's a follow up to my uh, first book, which was Developing Female Leaders, which right. I really wrote for guy leaders in churches to understand how to do a better job building cultures where women could use their gifts. Sort of regardless of your theological position, uh, we can all do a better job helping women bring their leadership gifts to the ministry game. Uh, this is a follow up in that uh, I wanted to write a book for women to try and help find your leadership voice as you're getting mm-hmm. doors of opportunity opened, as you're taking a seat at the table, it's really easy for many of us, especially if we've grown up in families or cultures where gender equality or leadership in women was looked at as a negative attribute, it's really easy to spend a lot of time and energy second-guessing ourselves, being uncertain if we should speak, uh, not sure if we should stay in or resign, like we just, we spend a lot of time questioning. And so this is really my sort of antidote to how to work through those challenges that we've all had to figure out. It's sort of my process of how you get your head around your gifting, around your passion, knowing that at some places you're actually called to speak, but we also know as Christians, sometimes God calls us to stay quiet. How do you know Mm -hmm. the difference and how can you do both of those decisions with confidence?
1: I love it. And, and, you know, we won't spend near enough time on it today uh, for this conversation. Um, but I loved when I got to hear you teach out of your, your first book a little bit, what was the inspiration for you to write now a couple of books on empowering women leaders? Uh, Just where, where is that, um, coming from?
2: So I actually feel like I'm the last person to be talking about this because I've kind of avoided the subject, my entire leadership, uh, mostly because I um, had great opportunities. I didn't run into a lot of roadblocks. I had Hmm. wonderful pastors who wanted me to thrive in leadership. Now, granted, I was one of the, of a few and usually the only female in the room. So I realize now looking back, not everyone was having the same experience as I was. Uh, Mm. But as I started consulting with churches, I started to find that in order to reach their uh, growth goals, in order to launch new campuses, in order to really fulfill the mission they believe God had given them, the really the primary thing they were all missing was enough qualified, mature, seasoned leaders. And as we started sort of peeling back their culture, their leadership pipelines, their practices, what we found every single time is that they had a whole pocket of female leaders that just were not being used in ministry to their full potential. And Mm. for me, it was less about being female. It was more about, you've got this entire group of people that you are not accessing. Why is that? And as I dove into that further, and as it started to show up in church after church, after church, I started to realize that we are really on the cusp of, if we could unlock that sort of dormant potential, we could probably have twice the number of campuses we have now. We could have twice the outreach. We could have twice the people empowered to be making disciples on their own. We, we could have twice the impact if we had twice the leaders. And so the book is really written about the big gap between how guys see ministry and leadership and the way they've been groomed into their roles of leadership in our culture. Again, not their fault, but definitely their responsibility and how women have been groomed into leadership and ministry roles and the disconnection and the miscommunication and the gap between those two worlds. If we could learn to lead together, like John 17, Jesus talks about in John 17, leading in unity. I really think we could start to see the kingdom come to fruition like never before. And really, there's never a better time uh, than right now to start making headway in that direction.
1: Well, and this is going to be a major challenge for for the local church in the the coming season as we move out of, and maybe you want to speak to this for a second, but moving out of the, the COVID season and, and what's happening to, uh, females in the workplace and, and, um, the schools being closed and whatnot, this is something that churches are really going to have to, you know, embrace and and help women. Um, I guess maybe just speak to that for a minute. This is a major challenge for the local church right now.
2: Absolutely. And I think, uh, if, If it's been a topic you've been looking at, you are ahead of the game because there's two main areas coming out of COVID that I think uh, need to be on every leader's mind. Whether you lead a team of four volunteers or you lead a church of four thousand people, it has to be on our mind because. Women are strategic to the relaunch of your church for two reasons. The first one is women are 30% more likely to volunteer in your church ministry. They're Mm. twice as likely to give donations to your church or your ministry. And they control the majority of the financial income decisions in their home. Plus, they actually navigate all their family's schedule. So, if you want that seventh grader to show up at middle school again, guess who's really the one making that decision? It's mom. Mm. So, the engagement of women actually. Actually is the backbone of the church. And I think most of us know that, which is why those statistics like women being the majority of the congregation, 61% in the average church, but less than 10% of leadership roles is so confusing because they actually make up the majority of our congregation, the majority of our volunteer, the majority of our financial donors, but we have very few strategies geared specifically for them. Mm. So if you want to relaunch your church, if all you do is call your best guy buddies, And invite them back, you're going to be automatically down about 60%. So you have to include a female perspective in the way to connect with them. And it's not sending your wife to have lunch with all of them. Like you have to actually make it part of what your church is doing. Then the second thing is when it comes to female leaders. So that's just Uh, engaging women of your congregation back in. When it comes to female leaders, we're seeing a major um, kind of departure of women from their professional roles. So the women that you have on your team, either in high capacity, volunteer roles, or on paid staff, uh, we're seeing almost 3 million women have stepped out of the workforce due to the challenges of COVID. Uh, Their kids need home, their virtual schooling, or they've got learning issues that can't be supplemented right now, their parents, their own physical health. They're just like, my life was stressful enough. I'm, you know, peace out. I need a break and we're going to read, you know, reorganize ourselves. And, uh, I'd rather clip coupons than live like this. You know, there's all sorts of reasons, but if we're not careful, a temporary situation, like a worldwide pandemic could actually five years from now be incredibly detrimental to your leadership Ranks if you don't think creatively and work intentionally about helping to keep your female leaders in their leadership role. So, a couple simple things you can do is before a woman decides to leave her job or leave the role, please don't take that answer too quickly. Talk to her about what's really going on. Offer to let her take six month leave with no retribution. If she wants to take her full time job down to part time and use that money to give her an assistant or an associate director to keep things floating in the meantime. Maybe she can job share. Uh, Maybe you give her FMLA so she gets some salary, like whatever it is you can do. So that six months from now, a year from now, two years from now, if she's running all your student ministries, she can just come back in as a Director, as a minister, as a pastor, whatever your language is, so that she doesn't have to come back on as the part time assistant or the volunteer small group leader when you have this person who has really high leadership capacity. Almost no men are trying to figure out how to get out of their job, but almost every woman is. So just help them realize there are options and that it's worth it for you and for the congregation that you lead for her to stay engaged, even if it looks a little differently over the next short season.
1: So good. Thank you for your perspective on that and your book, find your leadership voice in 90 days. I can't encourage everybody enough to go grab it, read it with your team, unpack it. Um, there's going to be a lot of gold and some things that we really need to be considering, uh, moving forward in this season. Well, Hey, today, uh, I am so excited to talk to you about the disruptions of this season. Uh, I think we all resonate with that idea. This has been the great disruptor. Um, I didn't tell you this before my family, personally, we've had major (laughs) disruption. We had an oops, pregnancy, uh, during COVID. (laughs) So, uh, we, um, we are disrupted in every single way. Uh, and that, that's, that's, that's one, one example, but I know, you know, on a more serious note, um, every leader would, would resonate with that thought. I guess maybe just unpack that for us a minute how have you seen or you i think you when you taught on this you mentioned Feeling like this was a disruption season. Would you like to unpack anything on that?
2: Well, I, I think disruption is the perfect word because it's it's beyond a challenge, right? And we don't actually know is it gonna make life worse? We're obviously having great loss in it, but just like a, a surprise baby, that is a major disruptor. But you know, 20 years from now, you're gonna be like, We're so glad, you know. But oh, right. those early years, that was rough. And I think also the surprise of it, you know, this wasn't something that we could see coming. I think even if you you're in any sort of leadership role, no matter where you're at in the organization, you're Part of what leaders do is they look ahead. They live in the future. They're projecting things. And so, even things like an economic crash, I think we could see the political disruption happening. I think many of us even knew there were racial tensions that were popping up. If we weren't paying attention to that, we just weren't paying attention. So, right. many of the things that we've seen, but I think the pandemic, you know, unless you were one of the people who listened uh, to the right TED talk, you know, we didn't really see it coming or understand the significance of the impact it would have on our day to day life. And the models in which we do church. Uh, However, many times with a disruption, and I think the perspective I was trying to give at the church I was speaking at is we can look at this and if we're not careful, we can be like, oh no, something has gone horribly wrong and we need to fight to get it back. Uh, I think for me, I look at this as what God does to his children lovingly when we've not been willing to make adjustments proactively. (laughs) And many of the things that I see as being challenged with right now in church ministry are things that for me as someone who lives a little bit on the future prediction of trends and culture and how church uh, orient itself to reach people in fresh ways with the gospel, I've known that small groups was not going to be what small groups have been for the last 20 years. I knew, most of us knew, Sunday morning was not as effective as it was 50 years ago, uh, that we are not capturing the hearts of the next generation like we want to, right? We 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 know we're not as diverse as we need to be. We know we're missing women at the leadership table. Like We all know these things, but we couldn't find our way into solving them, most of us. Some of us, I mean, we're trying, but we we all we needed God to give us a reset button. And that is exactly what we're experiencing. And I think those of us who are going to make it just like any other business, if you, you know, sell sneakers on the corner, if you are an Etsy seller, if you do a podcast, everyone's world got shifted. and the organizations, the teams, the leaders who are um, leaning into agility and pivoting, are going to find their way through it. God's not interested in stopping us. He's interested in disrupting our mindset and catching us up to the work that he has already been doing that we've been lagging behind on. And so we all just got like a major fast forward button pushed on us. And if we can embrace those things, if we can get a little ahead of where we were, definitely not trying to recreate what was, Hmm. but getting beyond today and start looking towards tomorrow, I actually think 10 or 20 years from now, we're going to look back and be like, Oh my gosh, it's amazing. But wow, those first few years were exhausting. Just like your baby, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And could couldn't agree more. I mean, I've I've often gone to um in John where Jesus taught that, you know, of course, the the branch that doesn't bear fruit, he you know, he he throws into the fire. I think we know that part. But then it says, you know, the branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. And I I don't know that I saw that one coming, to be honest, you know, that man, even even the fruitful get pruned and disrupted, if you will, in in this season. So something for us all to take note on. So you um, have said, and I love this thought, I'd love to hear your what you have to say about this, that every church is now a global church. And man, I have so many pastor friends, so many teams out there who, you know, shutdowns happened on Thursday and they weren't online and they had 72 hours to figure out, you know, church for that coming Sunday, you know, right about a year ago. I think some of us will never forget a weekend like that. Um, But maybe just talk about that for a minute, this disruption of every church now being a global church. What do you see in there?
2: Well, we've been watching for a long time, the trends of online church, but not just online church, but the digital age, social media, how people connect and engage. It's part of anyone who's spending any time looking at next generation. We know that that's a part of their, you know, they're digital natives. It's not even right, like I go to right. church in person or online. Like I think of let's do online church this weekend. I think of it as a different category in their mindset. It's just their church. And it flows in and out of my phone wow. and my laptop and my real life experience and my coffee and my school and it, it's it's not even any categories. And so I think what's one of the, this is one of the most exciting parts of this grand disruption is that any church who hadn't gotten there yet suddenly was there in about, you're right, three to four days. Right. And one of the pieces that's beautiful about that for me as someone who coaches a lot of teams, I do feel like one of the biggest hindrances to churches moving forward is this spiritual stronghold of perfectionism. That comes from doing ministry and us growing up in the '80s, where excellence and performance and the ability to make Jesus look attractive, really went too far from one pendulum swing to the other. Where now we right. feel like until it's great, we don't want to put it out there. Well, gosh, some of the pastors who are getting the biggest traction is them on their iPhone on their back porch, right, giving a devotional or giving a message. It's Max Lucado with his you know computer thing, like giving the these amazing devotionals every morning for three months in a row and having millions of people watch him, Uh, you know, and that's where I'm saying every church is now a global church, because once you come online, no matter how slick you look, no matter what your production value anyone in the world can access you. And again, it's, to me, it's just an extension of the trend we had already been seeing, particularly my expertise is multi-site churches. And we had already seen a blending of multi-site strategy with global church planting and with our missions world. So most churches who have been around for more than 10 or 15 years probably have international mission partners. They send money, they send mission trips. You know, the pastor goes once a year and preaches a message from an orphanage and holds a starving baby. You know, they, everyone's doing this, right? Well, those churches want our help and we have the resources in many ways to help them. Uh, side note, they have a lot to teach us about faith and joy and contentment. We're not as usually quick to learn those things from them. But there is a globalness that we have already started to see. And many of those kind of outreach posts have now become campuses as a part of a church's multi-site strategy or they're planting churches, but that church wants to like use the children's curriculum. So now we're like collaborating. So our churches were already softening the lines. Now that we're online, you can literally be a pastor and probably almost all of you do. If you pull your metrics off of Google, you'll see that you're getting people watching your service. It's, you know, your intern's mom in Alaska and it's your, you know, staff member or a a solid family that's been with you for a long time Their, you know, uh, in-laws in New Zealand are watching you and, and they're watching you not because you're so amazing. I'm sure you're amazing. They're watching you because they know someone who they trust and they want to, they want to go to church with the people they know. And like my son is 17, he's a gamer. He's got friends globally. So when he thinks of inviting someone to church, he doesn't think of the kid in his algebra class or the kid down the street that he barely talks to. He thinks about the guy from Germany that he's on a team with every Friday night. And he's like, I can now go to church with this guy his mindset is just completely different. So we, and so this is one of the things I hope we don't give up. I hope we don't go online was awesome for that 2020, but now it's so glad to be in person. I just want to encourage every pastor do both. This is not either, or this is both. And, and we don't have to get caught in this um, mentality that we have to be the best thing out there. You just have to be the best you out there. And God will bring you the people he has ordained for you to reach.
1: So well said. So well said. And I, you know, having a, a podcast and a a ministry that started digitally leading second, it's really interesting how you, you put stuff out, you know, over the course of time and, um, all of a sudden you hear of someone who's been listening for months. They never liked one Instagram post. You know, they never commented one time and yet they'll even write you a note and say, you've changed my life. And you're like, I haven't even heard from you. I didn't even know know you were out there, you know, and yet what an honor to, I guess, have a a space in in their world, you know, only made possible by embracing the digital world. So maybe a follow-up question I would have for you on that is how do we measure engagement then in this new digital world? Or maybe we're still trying to figure that out because you know the the previous metric was butts in seats on a sunday and so that doesn't work anymore uh, do you have any wisdom or are you seeing any trends with churches that are effectively measuring online engagement right now
2: well it's it's tricky because it's tricky it's difficult yeah. you don't have actual numbers i think uh again it's one of the disruptors that i think uh most of our churches have ended up being led by people whose gifting primarily feeds off uh, feedback from a live audience. And, um, there are many other spiritual gifts that can lead a church besides, you know, being an Enneagram three, but for whatever reason, we (laughs) love threes being (laughs) at the front of our churches. And so, or eights or ones like whatever it happens to be, but there's, there's a tendency for us to feel good about our spiritual impact. If we get good facial instant feedback and we've become a little dependent on it, to be really honest, I think the measurements started to happen by those of us who are in more of the XP role, because we're, you know, sort of nerdy. And so we're counting, you know, uh, noses and nickels, and we're trying to figure out how our church is doing. But none of those have ever had any significance or direct correlation to spiritual growth. And I think any believer who walks with Jesus closely knows that we're all kind of celebrating things, but we're like, yes, yeah, but we all know this isn't really what it's about. Right. (laughs) So now it's about flipping, not only our addiction to those kinds of things, or I have the biggest building or the biggest budget, but how do we actually uh, measure engagement of like, who's out there are is what we're doing, making a difference. And should we keep doing it? I think that's different than how many people like me. Am I, am I uh, making people feel better? Am I helping people give more? Those are very transactional measurements. And I think part of what we're seeing in this disruption, in my personal opinion, is I think God wants us to move from transactional churches to more communal churches, which means actually, Brandon, what you want more than anything is for someone to send you a message on Instagram that says, I actually like you so much and you've made such a difference. I'm gonna look you up, send you a note and now we actually have started a relationship. Um, for me, I call it sort of that shep, it's the shepherding mindset of a pastor rather than the leader mindset. Now, both are important. I'm an expert in leadership development. Leadership matters. But I think for today's church, particularly coming out of COVID, um, we need to swing the pendulum away from the leadership conversation and more towards the shepherding communal conversation. If you look at the last time our country went through a major, I'm th- I'm speaking for America at this point, um, the last time America went through a major crisis crisis was really uh, after World War II and the Great Depression. And out of that emerged hundreds and hundreds of churches of about 100 to 150 people. And if you know anything about Dunbar's number, you know, it's kind of a thing we toss around in ministry, but that 150 people is sort of this social norm of how many relationships I can be connected to, to keep track of people's lives, to feel like I belong, yet always have someone new to talk to. It's the reason most churches are uh, under 150 people, 90% of America, their churches are under that number. And we look at that as bad because we've lived in an up and to the right mentality, but that's actually what people need to come out of a crisis. And so I think this is where multi-site plus digital engagement plus pastoral care can really intersect to give us a relaunch into how do we get people in communities of a hundred where we can care for one another pool our resources, right? This is like acts two. like who doesn't have a job in my neighborhood and how can I share my dinner with them? Who's who now had to give up their job and she can be the co-op teacher while every other mom goes to work. How do we live like a community that shares resources, not just physical resources and functional resources, but spiritual encouragement, um, pastoral care, prayer, um, friendship, social, right? It's, it's, um, I think it's so fascinating that even in social isolation, we can still have pods of people that you're safe to be with. I feel like God is ushering us into the pieces that many of our churches, uh, which got a little caught up in that transactional, or you show up and pay your tithe and we choose to love you. But if you don't do either one of those, you're out, right? That mentality uh, is really not going to carry us through this next 10 years
1: absolutely brilliant absolutely brilliant and you you mentioned the word excellence and I, I I loved your your point on that but I've heard you say this connection is the new excellence and I think when I heard you teach that was my number one takeaway from the day connection is the new excellence so vital for churches right now maybe just unpack that a little bit further and are you seeing churches or leaders do things effectively right now to connect with their now new global, audience?
2: So yeah, this hits a little bit to the perfectionism. I think coming out of the 80s and 90s, which most of us who are in leadership now sort of got groomed in that mentality, which is important. I mean, I grew up in a very small 100 person church where Christmas Eve was basically an open mic talent show. And so anyone who wanted to (laughs) sing or play or do a reading, and you better believe Katie Cole in her fourth grade (laughs) recorder came and played We Three Kings, right? Like I was there, so. That isn't always the best foot to put forward a three hour Christmas Eve service to a lost person. So I get that. So I don't want to go so far that you just, you know, anybody can do anything, but we've gone so far to the extreme that excellence becomes the thing we care about most is if God needs our help looking good. And what I'm saying is that uh, the new excellence, right? That's what's worked for us the last 20 years, probably about five years ago, <laughs> but <or> 10 <laughs> years ago, but we've lived it a little too long connection is really the new excellence so it really is about those relationship building it really is about knowing people about noticing if they're not there uh it is about caring for them and their actual life it's about praying for them in person you know i think a lot of churches even are like fill out the connect card and we'll send it to an unknown group of people to pray for your really most intimate personal sacred needs like Even I don't want to do that. And I know the people on the prayer team, but I don't, you know, the things that are closest to my heart right now are sensitive, like almost all of us. We're in a very different time. I sent my prayer requests in all the time three years ago. I hardly do it at all now because it's so sensitive. And I'm fragile, right? Because I've lost my mom this year. My company is totally different. You know, all of these things happen. And so, That's most of the world. That's not poor me. That's like everyone you know is having that. And so just making sure that as we think into the future, we aren't getting caught up in old mindsets that, you know, I think a pastor who's sending a, or making a phone call to 10 people every day is going to see their church do great a year from now. I think the pastor who's got mass emailings every week, reminding me to give and to come to church, that's going to be harder. They're going to have a harder time. Um, I was speaking with a group of senior pastors from Europe doing a training on uh, sort of these kind of disruption trends. And one of the things they were talking about is how easy it is to assume if someone's not coming back to church, because they've had some of their mandates lifted before we have, um, it's easy to fall into this trap that they must not be following Jesus right, that somehow church attendance and closeness to Christ were somehow connected. And I think in ministry people, you would like to assume they are, but I just want to give a warning out there to all sorts of, you know, all sorts of ministry people that the only way you're going to know where someone is spiritually is if you actually call and have a conversation with them. It's probably not even over a text message. It's an engagement with who they really are. And we all know that what's on Instagram is not the full story, but you're the pastor. You're the spiritual parent, right? Parents should know the full story of their kids. And as a spiritual parent, you should know the full, story of your kids. If you don't, then that's the time to to quit worrying about how great the newsletter looks. Quit worrying about what you're wearing on the platform and start connecting with people to find out where they're really at. That's where the information is. That's where your leading indicators are. That's what your customer survey should be telling you. But the connection that happens to get the information is the key piece, even more than the information itself.
1: Great. Great. I love that. I love that. You're saying everything I've wanted to say in this season. Thank you. Hey, I don't want to let you go today without talking a minute about diversity because our, our nation, uh, our world is having conversations on diversity and the local church belongs in it. And, um, it matters. It matters to us. Um, how would you say that the church can fight for and should fight for diversity of all kinds uh, being at the table on the church team and church leadership. What would you say about that?
2: Yeah, I think that's exactly the way I like to talk about it is we have to fight for it. It's not something that will naturally come. Um, it is something that we have to swim upstream for. And I think as Christians, we do this all the time, but we have not done a great job leading the way on fighting for diversity in our congregations. And again, I think God's like, you know, bless your hearts. I know you've been thinking and you feel guilty, but let me just fast forward you, right? You, you're having such a hard time getting there. Let me help you get there faster. Um, I think that when we're talking about diversity, it's really less about looking around at your team and your church and saying, uh, what's the one person, what's the one aspect of diversity we can take on this year? Is it women? Is it age? Is it race? Is it socioeconomic? Like, like what should we take on this year? It's more about, What do we need to change as leaders so that everyone Mm. knows we want, need, and desire their giftings at this church, that we feel like if God wants to bring someone here, we will do everything we can to steward their entire life as a part of our body. I think that's the mindset shift that as leaders, we need to fast forward ourselves into When I was doing research for the book Developing Female Leaders, uh, which was particularly around gender uh, disparities in leadership roles and what men particularly um, male populated environments could do to help more women thrive in their culture. I really assumed it was going to be a theological issue. It's like, okay, so obviously, you know, one kind of the theology is we like women. The other one is we don't really like women. And how do we make that go together? But that's really not it at all. The research that I came up with, um, like all of the surveys, all of the interviews, all the research, basically. Theology had almost nothing to do with how many women were being used in levels of ministry. We had very progressive churches, egalitarian churches who had statements on their website for female leadership, have almost no women in leadership. And we had very conservative, complementarian churches who were really clear on their website about some limitations to organizational roles that women could not hold, but all the roles they could hold. And they had women flourishing at every level, including the senior leadership team. And so it had absolutely nothing to do with that theological issue. It had everything to do with the personal habits and practices of the leaders on the team, starting with the senior pastor, moving down through the ranks. And the place that we see the most problems is in mid-level management. It's the middle leader who doesn't understand the viewpoint of their senior pastor and has bad habits that they're projecting onto their church. And it's confusing women from being able to take places of leadership. We see this in every level of Uh, Diversity and bias is that uh, somewhere in the organization, there are unknown biases, things we've inherited, personal opinions, and we make assumptions that everyone sees it the way we see it, and that my behavior. If she really wanted to be a leader, she would fight for it versus me going, I need to be the kind of leader that every woman would want to work on my team. Every person of color would want to be on my team. Every person who's from uh, really rich people all the way to really poor people would know I need them on my team. People who lead from wheelchairs or can't speak or are deaf. Like I want to be the kind of leader that when someone looks at me, my leadership and my team, they know they belong here. They know that if God is calling them, They belong here. And that is the piece that we can lead the way on because we know how to reflect. We know how to handle conviction. We know how to apologize. We know how to make things right. We know that God can even change our hearts. We don't even have to tell ourselves to think differently. We know God can change us from the inside out. If we don't lead the way on this, the world will never understand how to do this. They can't change their own hearts. Only God can change a heart and he has to start it with us. The leaders, we're the ones who have to repent first.
1: So good, so challenging, and uh, I, I receive it today. I pray that that everyone listening today just feels feels challenged again in that area. Katie, thank you first of all for just being such a great student in this season and and helping us find some wisdom. Thank you for loving the church and thank you for challenging us though, because I I know now a couple times that I've been able to hear you, I, I am walking away feeling very challenged. So I appreciate you very much and appreciate the work that you're doing. I pray that it is wildly impactful, uh, in, in this season coming up. I have one question for you to let you kind of land the plane on this conversation today. And I just love to hear, um, church leaders bleed a little bit, their heart for the local church. What would you say is your greatest prayer uh, for the local church in this season as we move forward?
2: Well, I think it's very personal to me because I'm uh, someone who stepped into a church for the first time when I was eight years old with my single mom and my little sister. And uh, it wasn't, it wasn't the quality of the music. It wasn't the senior pastor's message. It wasn't the, you know weird basement in the middle of the mountains of Montana. It, it was the faithful people who, as your podcast says, were leading from the middle. It was the Sunday school teacher. It was the guy who did maintenance. It was the part-time pastor who never got paid, who would fill in. It was being there at choir rehearsal every week and all those people loving on me and our family. Like that is what the church is about. And Those are the pieces that no matter what the world throws at us, no matter what disruption God allows or Satan tries to do to take us down, it's always going to come back to that. It's always going to be about taking the people who are right around us and loving on them, teaching them about Jesus, modeling faithfulness, showing that there is a better way to live. That speaks for itself. And I think as long as even in the midst of this, we're all navigating our own mental health, our own anxiety we know the antidotes to those things. We don't need science to tell us it's a quiet time or meditation. Jesus has been teaching us that from the beginning. Yep. Yep. If we just do the basics, if we just do the simple things and then come together and talk about how it's helping us, we will be the church that our world needs right now.
1: Amen. Amen, I believe it. Thank you so much. I appreciate you being on with us today.
2: Thank you, Brandon. And thanks for all you're doing in the kingdom. I'm really a big fan, so appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. God bless you.
0: For more information, check out leadingsecond.com, follow us on Instagram, at leadingsecond, and join us on the Leading Second Collective on Facebook.